Welcome back to the Destination Discipline Podcast. I'm your host, Gage Harness, and today is another solo episode, and this one is going to be a long one, and I've poured a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of recollection um, to talk about this, and it is my testimony and how I came to Christ and how he kind of just pulled me along and led me straight to him. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. So let's start from the very beginning. Growing up, I believed in God. My family did as well, um, but I had no idea who he is or why I even believed. While we were growing up, my family was just very lukewarm, and my mom was really the main driver of me beginning and believing in Christ. Uh, I don't really ever remember my dad going to church with us very much, but I remember myself and my siblings, and I can remember the exact church and where we sat. Now, what I meant by lukewarm is we would have spurts of going to church for a few months. Uh, We'd go there for, yeah, a month, and then we'd be off for six or so, and we'd repeat it. Uh, But the main thing that was consistent was praying, and I will explain that a little bit later. So when we first walked into this church, I again, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't remember ever really understanding why I believed. But what drew me so much was the worship. I loved the lyrics, the guitar, the drums. And I remember most of the time, I'd just watch the guy up there playing an electric guitar, and I'd watch his fingers move up and down the fretboard with ease, and it would just sound so good and so graceful. And I I absolutely loved worship. Um, I still do. But what's funny enough is eventually we actually asked that guy to get me some guitar lessons, but it never went through. That's fine, because later down the road... I'll share it with you. Something happens. So what I meant by it was very consistent. So praying was really the only thing in my life that was actually consistent. And it was mainly because of my mom. And she would always pray to me before I go to sleep. So just a backstory is growing up, I saw a lot of torment. I heard a lot of yelling, fighting, and I could always remember my mom like just telling me as I got older about how anxious I was at like all times. And that anxiety when I was little ran so high that I slept in my parents' bed way past my normal age. But however, for me to sleep in my bed, my mom would pray for me before I slept. And it is still one of the most soothing things to this day. I could remember feeling at peace. My anxiety would slowly fade and I'd fall into sleep, most likely laying right next to my mom. And I believe that those were really my first experiences with Christ. But that kind of sets the foundation for where it started. So as time went on, I got a little older, and I believe I was around 9 to 11 years old, when I had an experience that I've never shared before, with anyone because I don't know what it is. So 
before I share it with you, let me just set the scene yet again. So again, I was 9, 11 years old, somewhere in there, and I remember laying in my bed on my lime green, in my lime green room with my desk next to me, and farther up down my room there was this nightstand, or dresser I mean, and it had a TV and it was facing towards me, and the room was a lot longer than it was wider. And when you would exit the room, there was a set of stairs to the right, and across the way was my parents' bedroom. And you'll understand why that's important. Anyways, I remember getting in trouble for something, and it was like one of my first spankings I ever got with a belt. You do remember that? Um, it was likely deserved. I, I really don't remember exactly what I was doing. But after I was done being spanked, I looked up at my dad, and I told him I wanted to die, and that I hated life, and I just want to die. He told me, don't say that, and stay in here until further notice, which was really after he got out of the shower. And I had a massive revelation. I, I thought that because I said that, I was going to die right there, and no one was going to be able to save me. And I was terrified. And I can remember crying out to my dad, who was in the shower, and just saying, come protect me. Like, I don't want to die. I, I was terrified. I remember bawling my eyes out more than the actual spanking. And I don't really remember what happened after all of that. I can't recall my memories that well. But I do remember the dream that I had, and I would really, I've never shared this before, so let's just jump right into it. So I was in a dream, I was sleeping, I was in a dream, and the light was on, and I was laying in my bed the same way I was when I was terrified of dying. And the light was on, and I was looking down this, my my room towards the stairs that were on the right side when he left it and parents across the, the way. And I remember these really, really loud thumps, just like shaking the house authority, like footsteps, just thumps up the stairs. And I remember in the dream, just like, I don't know what that is. And I don't remember moving in the dream, but it was just very powerful and bold. And I remember staring down my room, and before I know it, there was suddenly a massive ray of light, almost like the sun when you would look at it, and it was standing at the entrance of my bedroom. And I can't remember, or I can remember looking at it for a short while, but really as I say this, I don't know if I remember seeing a figure or anything or a resemblance of Christ. Um, I don't know if that's just what I want to say. But after that dream, I, I don't really remember how I reacted. But I remember saying, I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone. Um, it's one of the more clear dreams I can remember. I mean, that was 10 years ago. So if anyone has any ideas on what that could have been, or maybe what dreams mean, um, please tell me. I would love to think that it was God or, or Jesus, but I don't remember and I don't want to be biased 
because of the relationship I have with him now. But yeah, I've never shared that with anybody. And I remember it crystal clear. And I wish I could relive it and just watch it one more time. So please let me know. So again, just kind of setting the stage for what's to come. So Christ is in my life somewhat. I didn't really understand who he was still. I was still a little too young and naive, but that kind of changed once I got into middle school. Once I got into middle school, uh, I'd met a friend named James, who I'm still friends with. And this was about seventh grade to eighth grade this time frame. And this is really the first time where I kind of dove headfirst into a youth group uh, into the church called South Rock, which is actually where I still go. Um, and it was just a youth group in the basement. It wasn't very many kids. Uh, the pastor, youth pastor was Andy, and now he is the lead pastor, which is awesome. He's fantastic. And we consistently went, James and I, and his family would come and pick me up every Sunday morning, and we would go. And not really because I understood what was happening, but I just felt like I should. I should be there for some reason. And at some point, I really, really remember this, is I was at Walmart, and I was in the book aisle. I'm, I'm a big reader. I still was back then. And I saw this Bible. It's sitting next to me right now. And I purchased this. And this is the Bible I've used dang near every day. It's sitting next to me as we speak. It's been to Louisiana. It's been rained on. It's been sweated on. It's been cried on. It's all kinds of things. And I love this Bible. It's all crusty. Um, it's categorized. It's written in. It has been by my side for a very long time. And I just love this thing. But that was a little tangent. But I bought this Bible. At the time, I was still really ignorant of what it meant to be a Christian. I started to understand a little bit more thanks to Andy and James's influence. And, you know, my behavior at school didn't really reflect it at all. And that, so I'm kind of jumping all over the place. This is hard to talk about because it's been a while, but that was around seventh to eighth grade was that time frame where James and I would go to the youth group and Christ started to work in my life a little more, and I started to see him a little more, but it still really wasn't until it started clicking more so in high school and after. So along came high school, and James and I, we kind of broke off from being friends for a while, and eventually we became friends again, and we still are. And I stopped going to church that freshman year, first semester. Um... I just didn't prioritize it the same. James and I broke off, so I didn't really have a way of getting there. My family wasn't going, and Christ was still lingering in the back of my mind. So fast forward, um, school normally starts in August, so let's jump to November. Uh, my grandpa on my mom's side passed away on November 16th, 2016 from prostate cancer, and he was a very influential person to me. And I remember him kind of slowly in those last months started giving his life to Christ. And I remember 
there at the end of his life, um, he spent a lot more time in church. He talked about Christ a lot more. My family talked about Christ a lot more. And there at the end during hospice, and, you know, they're filled up with pain meds, and he didn't really know where he was at or wasn't really him anymore. And I remember my family always talking about making sure he was saved. And if he accepted Jesus into his heart and repented. And again, at the time, I I faintly knew what that meant. But that death, my grandpa's death, really, really changed me. And it was the first one I've ever encountered with a close relative. And... I mean, it really continues to influence my decisions today. Like my grandmother, so his uh, his wife um, was really important to me, Linda. Uh, she passed away on January 21st of this year. And one of my biggest regrets with my grandpa was I never spent time with him. And any time that I was over there at his house while he was still alive, I just had my face in my phone, like playing Clash of Clans or Clash Royale or watching YouTube, and I never spent time talking to him. And that is one of my biggest regrets to this day. And with my grandma, I did everything possible not to do that ever again. And I can happily say I have no regrets with my grandma, and I have forgiven myself and paid my respects back to my grandpa for spending the time I did with his wife. And um, I cherish all those memories. I know, Grandma, you're listening to this right now, and you're up there with him, so I love you both. But to continue on with the story, directly after that, so directly after my grandpa passed, my parents got a divorce. And divorce is hard. It's very hard. It's very hard on parents. It's very hard on kids. And it felt like the world was caving in on me. And because of the divorce, I had so much resentment towards my parents that I went so low and I stole their credit card or their money and I would purchase like video games or anything and I would do it slowly. My philosophy at the time was I would just slowly chip away and hurt them without them even noticing because that's kind of how I felt. And again, that's terrible. I'm not that same kid. And eventually they did find out, and that didn't go over well. Um, But I was so broken. And that freshman year was really hard. And my grandpa just passed. My parents just divorced. I didn't really have any friends. I was very introverted. And this was really the time when I started doubting if God was real. And as the months went on, my parents tried getting back together. And that not only was a terrible idea, but it it fueled a lot of hatred for both of them, and specifically my father, and I'll, I'll dive into that more. And at the time, he was very manipulative and narcissistic. And the reason she left him was for those reasons, and for her to to go back and try again, I just didn't understand. And I would say really hateful things to them. I would wish really bad things on them, that they would break up, that they never talk. Um, I never wanted to see my dad. I was angry at him. He was 
abusive at the time, um, mainly verbal, uh, with some physical, but mainly verbal. Um, but my day-to-day routine was just wake up, go to school, eat junk food, play video games, steal money from my family while playing those video games, and I didn't talk to anyone. And if I did, it would stem from anger, and I avoided everyone. It was terrible. I was horrible. I was broken, and I had a lot of hatred, and I started doubting if God even existed. So that really lasted from freshman year till my first semester of junior year. And that's kind of where things started to take a turn. And I couldn't really explain to you why. Um, I had doubts that God was real, but I also still thought about him consistently, which is very weird. Um, But my sophomore, my junior year, first semester, I got my first job at Taco Bell. Um, Awesome place. (laughs) Yeah. Started making some money made some real friends in high school. And again, just emphasizing I was really introverted and the anger at my family turned into anger in every other part of my life. And so once I started making some real friends, things started looking up. And as I kind of recollect on that, I can't recall God being much of an influence on my actions, but I do remember thinking about him. Not necessarily like, should I do this or shouldn't I? But just a lingering thought. And for some reason, in the November, in November of 2018, about two years after my grandpa passed, I actually started my first podcast, which was called The Daily Harness. And it's still up today. It's on all platforms. I posted like two episodes. I think I deleted a couple of them because it didn't do as well as the first. But... The idea was for me to talk about all kinds of topics. I just felt like I needed to talk, and that included God, which, looking back, again, was very surprising. And in the first episode, I talked about how Jesus died for us, so we should live for him, is what I said. And it was like all of a sudden there was thoughts running through me when I would speak on that podcast And things would come naturally, and I could talk about God. I could talk about my grandpa. I could talk about culture and how I feel and the way I see the world. And it was very new, and it didn't really make any sense to me. Even then, it still doesn't now. But the podcast bio, just so you guys know, was a young kid with a large mindset that likes to talk about almost anything, whether it's the Bible, sports, politics, world news. And my first episode, like I was saying, was called Never Take Life for Granted. And then, like I said, I even made some extra ones. And the other one that I do remember, but it's not posted anymore, was my top five greatest basketball players. So that was Gage in 2019. 2018, I'm sorry. So time went on. School continued on. My parents were still trying to get back together. I, for some reason, was starting to just kind of grow up and mature and not take things so personal. And it wasn't until like April of 2019, so the end of my junior year, when things really started to turn around. 
And I know maybe some of this has already sounded a little robotic. It's very hard to recollect on these things, and I try to write out a massive script. So this is kind of where it turns. This is where I am this young, immature, broken, lost kid, and somehow, in some way, God, I fully believe this, just put his hand out, and I somehow grabbed onto it blindly without even realizing it until now. So let's jump into this. This is about to get very deep. At the end of my junior year, I met this girl. And just like every kid, I was attached to her basically instantly. And I'm not going to give names, but if you are listening to this, you know who you are. Um, thank you. I appreciate you and no bad blood. Um, but what is funny is leading up to when her and I first like met and like actually started talking was a little bit sooner than that. And I already had a massive crush on her leading up to that moment. Um, we both bowled. And I thought in my mind it was like a match made in heaven. And that's what I would say. But anyways, her and I became friends, and I wanted to be more than friends already. I was very ignorant still at that time, naive. And when she asked me to go to church, I was 100% down. And little did I know that that singular decision, that singular person would lead me to the biggest change in my life. Um, I remember going to the youth group here in my town where she went. It's at from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on a Sunday night. And I remember being introduced to the youth pastor, Cameron, and the rest of her friends. And instantly I could kind of feel like, oh, like this seems familiar. Um, I know like I know who God is. Those thoughts already started popping up in my head. It's like I have experience in this, so this isn't really new to me. But before I knew it, we were sitting down on these nice, cool, soft chairs facing the stage. And before, you, before I could even say anything, the youth pastor, Cameron, told us to stand up. And my golly, he started belting some of the best music lyrics I have ever heard that man has a voice and Cameron if you're listening to this you need you're gonna make it one day man you are insane um but almost instantly and I really really wish I remembered this song um when I kind of thought back on it I thought it was Waymaker which is like Waymaker Miracle Work anyways right when he started playing I felt this really warm goosebump chills, sweating feeling. And it's almost unexplainable. And it felt like this massive heating pad just like rolled around my body and just held me. And I remember just being so calm and so relaxed. And I was like, what is that? I had no idea what it was, but I knew that I, I needed to be there and I knew that this is what was supposed to happen. For some reason, it just like all these feelings rushed back into me and it was like a tsunami of emotions and I knew that I needed to come back. So every weekend after that, 
that girl and I would go to church, and I would listen intently to the sermons, and slowly but surely, I started to believe. And after a bit, this is kind of a backstory, I told the girl I liked her, but at the time I weighed 330 pounds, and I was 6'4", I was a video game nerd, I wasn't very appealing to look at, or really to date, I'd say. And she declined. She was like, oh, I just want to be friends. I was like, okay. Okay, but I was heartbroken. But not like I would be the next days. Like, I thought I was heartbroken. So fast forward a couple days. I believe this is right at the start of May. And this is where really the pivotal moment happened. And this is really the start where I, where I began to surrender. And I remember sitting there. I was sitting down at the dinner table with my family. I think we were eating steak. And my family was talking about getting back together and potentially living together. And I told them that I don't want it. Like, it's not going to work out. This isn't what's supposed to happen. You just put so much pressure and anger and anxiety and all of these things on us. And you're just going to glue it back together and act like it's not there. It's like when you have a, you paint your house blue and you just paint right over top of it. And then when you scrape it with a knife and you see both colors, that's kind of how my emotions felt. And I remember that I started picking up an attitude and I started screaming and yelling and my dad started yelling back. And so I was like, all right, that's my cue. I remember standing up and I'm about to leave because I was just so worked up. And again, like just being yelled at was just a massive trigger trigger from what we were put through. And my dad stood up to, to me and, and blocked me from leaving. And for some reason, it just flipped a switch in my head. And every bit of anger I ever felt from those years, from my life, from what he did to us, from what my parents did, from that divorce, from what the world was doing. And I spilled it out and told him right then and there that I want to fight him, that I'm tired of his abuse, and that he can't abuse me anymore. And I remember standing eye to eye to him. And after I told him I'd beat him up, he spit right in my face. And... Just a side note, my dad always taught us that if someone spits in your face, that is the ultimate F you. And if someone does that to us, we were taught to stand our ground and to face that head on. And when my dad did that, it was just like, I just had raw fear and was surprised and, and scared. But at the same time, I, I deserved it. And I remember my mom jumped in she started yelling. I remember I started crying dang near instantly. And she stopped us from whatever it was. And I remember I just walked out the door, well, ran out the door, went outside, and I went to this chair sitting at our jug house. And at the time, we, my, I mean, they still live there. My dad still lives there. We lived on a farm. And the jug house was just this building way back in the day where you'd hold all of your milk. And I remember just bawling my eyes out on that chair. And at that time, I just felt this urge, and I just said, Lord, like, 
I don't ever want to feel this small again. That I will do anything possible to escape this feeling. And that I just want his guidance and I want him to lead me. And that was really the turning point. That was the really the first time where I had a heartfelt prayer and I was calling out to him and I was just like, I need you right now. Like, I'm not a good person. I feel like I'm not in a good house, a good space. I'm trying to come to you. Just It felt like everything was on top of me and I just needed to push through and I needed you, Lord, to lead me. So after that prayer, a month or so went by. So now it's about mid-May start of June, and my parents split back up. It's like this, all of this prayer, just like this prayer put this fire under me and fire under this world, and he just like took care of it. So my parents split up. I was still going to church. I was hanging out with that girl still, and I started the journey of weight loss because I felt like if I lost some weight and got in shape, I'd never feel small. So from June to August, I lost about 80 pounds, and I mainly did that by starving myself, by lifting, playing basketball, and I had a lot of anger towards my dad, so none of that fazed me. I was losing that weight to stand up to him, and at the same time, I wanted to lose weight to get the girl, just like every movie, right? And time goes on, August comes around. And it's the start of my senior year. And at the start, I had a growing relationship with Christ. I started actually dating that girl. But I felt very, very empty because my dad and I just stopped talking completely. Um, That girl and I got closer. I started loving Jesus more. And I continued to lose weight. And time just went on. It just was like a routine. And the routine was, don't talk to my dad. That was it. Um, Gosh, I wish I handled that a little differently. Um, Anyways, sorry for the brief pause. So that girl and I, we started dating at the end of August. And she broke up with me at the end of September. And I think I finally, at the time I even realized it, I I knew why. So it was a a Sunday night, and we're heading out to church to the youth group. And again, I lost some weight. I was feeling a little more confident. So I dressed up with some jeans and a button-up shirt. And um, I don't even remember what shoes I was wearing. But I wanted to just impress her, like, You know, I wanted to look nice. I would comb my hair and put some hairspray in it. And beforehand, before church, it was almost ritual, was we would go to the Taco Bell where I used to work at and get some food before we went. And after we got some food, we headed to the church, and I could kind of tell something was going on between her and I. And when I got into our seats, the same seats that I was initially at, when I, God put his hand on me. And I was more invested thinking about her than I was with Christ and being in that church. So we sang worship, 
just like normal. We read Exodus, but I wasn't present. And at the end of the sermon, before we were dismissed, Cameron, the youth pastor, told us to sit down, close our eyes, and he had a request for us. And he said that to close your eyes and if there's anyone here who wants to accept Jesus into your heart or maybe needs some prayers or anything, I want you to raise your hand and someone will come by and will grab you. And when he said those words, those warm, fuzzy, goosebumped, chills, sweating, tears, knee tapping, just hit me instantly when Cameron said that. And I was like, I, I need to do this. I need to do this. Like, this is this is what's happening. Like, I got the same feeling. It's like God just put his hand around me and was just warming me up. And he was like, man, make that jump. Make that jump. I want you. And I didn't raise my hand. I sat there and... I didn't I didn't raise my hand. I, I don't know why I didn't. I think I was scared. I think I was scared of being judged while in church. Isn't that funny? And I didn't raise my hand. So we left the church. I still had lingering thoughts about why I didn't do it. And a couple hours later, that girl and I broke up. And it felt like I was back at square one. Gosh, man, he works so weird. Even just talking about this. And if you're listening to this still, thank you. But oh my gosh. Oh. But time goes on. <clears throat> so that's about, that was the end of September. And before you know it, it's, it's November. And I still continue to go into church. That girl and I still were talking. It was weird. Um, and in November, they, the church was putting on this campfire retreat at this farm. And I wanted to go. So I went. And we went to this farm, which happened to be my grandmother's friend's house, small world. And there's a lot of people there. The entire youth group is basically there. And we kind of started out like jumping on hay bales and running around and, and talking and standing around this giant brush pile that wasn't a fire yet. And when it turned dark, we lit the fire and we sat around it. And I remember sitting down on the ground and Cameron's up at the front and he's playing worship music, and we're singing, and we're having a good time, and the warmth of the fire is is peaceful. And again, he's just like, hey, guys, like I want everyone to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your heads, and if you feel like you should accept Jesus into your heart, or maybe you need some prayers, or maybe you just need someone to talk to, raise your hand. And again, goosebumps, fear, anxiety, not even fear and anxiety, just like nervousness, like I, I was being pulled at. It felt like I was a 
rubber band and you just feel that tension and you just kind of like pull it so hard it starts to shake. That's how I felt. Like God was pulling on my heartstrings. And I raised my hand. And this guy named Nathan came up to me, grabbed my hand, and we walked a little bit farther from the um, from the campfire. And uh, he's like, what do you need, Gage? Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. Like, I feel called to do this. It's It's been so long, and just everything's just not going his way or my way, and I've been trying to trust him, and I want this. And Nathan's like, all right, let's do this. And he bowed his head, and I accepted Jesus into my heart. And I remember looking at Nathan after I was done, and I gave him a massive hug. And you'd think at that time that I would be super excited and filled with so much love and, and hope, but I just instantly started thinking about my dad. Because I was just like, how am I supposed to get into heaven if I'm not following what my dad says? We're not talking. And I asked Nathan, I asked the youth pastor, and the youth pastor told me something that everyone has heard. And he said, you can't control what your dad does, but you can control what you do, what you do, me. And that begins with forgiving him. And that stuck with me. So I tried to forgive him right then and there. And then Nathan told me something that, that's really stuck with me. And he's like, my dad's an alcoholic. He, I won't tell all this story. Alcoholic, he's not a great man, and we don't really talk at all either. And I was like, oh, wow. So I'm not alone. I'm not alone. So I just accepted Jesus into my heart. I do feel a little bit lighter as the night goes on. I had a little more hope. And it wasn't like anything changed instantly or that I could hear the Lord's voice clearly after those coming weeks. It was nothing of that sort. Um, all it felt like was just, you know, another thing. Sounds terrible, but that's kind of really how I felt. And so a month goes on, and my bowling, my senior year of bowling started. I continued losing weight. And I picked up a new hobby, and that new hobby was playing guitar. So just like when I was younger, wanting to play guitar and watching the guitar at worship, I picked it up, and it was because my mom's boyfriend, also named Cameron, started learning guitar. And one day, Cameron had guitar lessons with this other man in our living room, and I listened to them, and he's like, yeah, if you learn like these basic chords, like G, C, A, D, E, like you can play almost anything. He's right. And I instantly wanted to learn, and my intention was just to play every song I could. So I instantly picked up a guitar, which my dad actually inherited from his good friend that passed away. And I just started learning. I just got on YouTube. Cameron helped me out, and he printed out this paper with all the chords and where to put my fingers. And I even created a Snapchat story at the time called Young Luke Combs. And before I even knew it, I surpassed Cameron on skill level, and I was just learning songs left and right, and any time after class, I'd just come home and play for hours, and it just felt like an escape. And I'm very glad. I still play guitar all the time. But again, time goes on, and that girl and I actually started dating again. I lost another 37, 38 pounds in that time frame, 
from August to December. And I just signed with Newman University, which was the school of my dreams ever since eighth grade when I picked up a bowling ball with one of my best friends, and things started picking up steam. My faith was consistent. I still really had no idea who Jesus really was, but I was learning. Um, My dad and I weren't talking still at the time. I was bowling the best I've ever bowled. I was getting stronger in the gym, and then spring break hit. COVID shut us down, shut down school. That girl and I broke up at that same time. I just turned 18. Church wasn't happening anymore, and it felt like the world flipped upside down. And I know a lot of people had it worse than I did. So that time between March and July was filled with doing home remodeling as a job, a lot of lake days with the bros, a lot of good talks. And before I knew it, it was the start of July. And it was the first or second week of July of 2020. And I met up with to have lunch with Cameron and Nathan. And we ate at this barbecue restaurant. And I told them that I wanted to be baptized. Even though I spent the past few months kind of not ignoring God, but just putting him on the back burner and just kind of thinking about him, not so much taking action for him. So we planned it for the day after my postponed graduation, and it was uh, senior day that that time. So I had graduation July 25th, and that was and I was baptized July 26th. And so 25th was a Saturday, 26th was the Sunday, and I remember going to that church early that morning. I prepped myself up. I was ready for what was about to happen. I was about to get baptized, and I remember waiting in the back behind the baptistry, which is where the water is at in the church. And I stepped into the water with Cameron. I declared my faith. I accepted him in my heart and was baptized. There it is. I'm saved. And what's even crazier is my, my dad was out there in the stage watching. My family was there. That girl was there. And it felt really good. Nothing super life-changing, but it felt good. And after I dried off, I went back to my seat, sat next to my dad and siblings. Again, we weren't talking. And they began worship by singing my favorite song of all time. That's worship at the time. And it wasn't planned, which is, uh, Oh, Come to the Altar. I think Elevation Worship has the best version of it. And then, we were in the book of James, and James had my favorite verse in it, again, without them knowing, and it's James 4, 6, and it's God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. So after the service was over, it was senior day, and they called all of us up, all seniors up, to the front. And he's like, hey, I want, Cameron was actually leading that day, and Cameron said, I just like everyone come up here. Everyone in this that can walk, that can stand, come up here. And there's about three or four seniors there that day. And he's like, I want everyone to place their hand on them and I want to pray for them. I want to pray for their life. And it was almost like God just was like, Here you go, man. Here's a full circle. And my dad stood right in front of me first time I've ever seen him in a church. He placed his hand on my right side 
and everyone circled around us. I could see my family, and he prayed. Cameron prayed. And that was a very, very special moment. You know, like that scene in Avatar uh, with the blue folks and everything? How, like, at the end, and they're about to help what's-his-face, and they're, like, kind of staying by this tree, and they're, like, moving back and forth, and you're kind of in the middle, and it's like a ritual type thing. Probably a really bad analogy, but that's kind of how it felt. It's just everyone was circling around me, and they were placing their hands on me. But here's the wild thing. After we were done with that, I found Nathan, who was the one that was there when I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I hugged him. And I told him, like, I love you, like, thank you. And he's like, hey, you should come meet my dad. And it turns out that the same guy who gave my mom's boyfriend at the time, Cameron, guitar lessons. Full circle, huh? So <clears throat> everything is coming into plan. Like, it, it's wild. It's crazy. And, you know, I just got baptized. I just got prayed over by so many people. And I was feeling electric is really how I can explain it. And I just had a full circle moment. And this is exactly what I needed before I headed into my freshman year of college at Newman University. So we're just going to jump right into that. Time goes on from July to August. I'm studying pre-physical therapy at school. And I was also bowling for them. And again, that semester, that went well. God was, again, kind of on the back burner, but he still played a huge role on me. And I know that he was playing a role on me because I couldn't ever bring my heart to do what most college kids do. I still can't, which was sleep around, drink, smoke, party, talk about things you don't need to. And I really didn't do any of it. Um, There's a few times where I would cuss and talk about things I probably shouldn't have. But there's a lot of plenty, there's plenty of chances for me to do the really wrong thing. And then comes December. The semester was going well, as in I was doing well mentally, but the semester was crushing me school-wise, and COVID kept postponing a lot of the tournaments, and bowling wasn't fun anymore because of that. And I was kind of starting to feel lost again. It kind of felt like I was going back to square one. I was kind of playing victim. But anyways, one of my good friends, now best friends, named Robbie, reached out to me, and he's like, hey, I want to talk about God. This was really when I was feeling low, and it was the start of December. And uh, he's like, you're the only one who wouldn't shove it down my throat. Like, tell me I have to do this, or push it onto me, or anything like that. I could just, I still get that comment sometimes today. Like, I, he just talks to people about it. And like, if they don't believe, like, I want to know why they don't believe. Not so much like proving to them that he's real. I don't know how to explain that. So I was honored. So we met up at this place called Taliano's, and it has the best dessert pizza, and we talked about Christ. And he was like, well, who is he? What is he like? How did you come into it? And I kind of gave him the gist of what I just told you guys. And... I invited him to go to church. I was like, that's where it stemmed from for me. Like, maybe you could feel it. Maybe something will happen. Maybe that's where God wants you to be. And so we end up going to church. It goes great. He didn't quite believe yet then. He now believes and now 
has his own Bible study and now has a relationship that's doing great. I love the guy. I know that he'll listen to this. So, Robbie, I appreciate you. So, while we were at church, it was like the last Sunday of the year of 2020, and the pastor, not Cameron, but the head pastor, uh, Jason, pray, or had a prayer, and he prayed that God wouldn't leave any of us alone in 2021 or for the rest of our lives, and that he prays that we just surrender to him and that even if it breaks us, like, I hope God's on your heels. I hope he doesn't leave you alone, which was pretty bold of a prayer. But I prayed it in that moment, and time goes on, and it hits January 1st. This is where things get a little wild. January 1st, I have appendicitis, and I get removed, and it gets removed January 2nd in the morning. A week later, I had a lot of problems with my teeth. I've never had that issue, and I had to get them worked on, and I couldn't bend backwards um, or lay flatly yet because of my incisions. I wasn't able to bull. I got really behind on school um, just because it was my problem, and it was crushing me, and my first grade in biology was an F, and it's really hard to bounce back from that. And again, my faith was on the back burner again. Over and over, there's a common thematity between all of this. But looking back on it, God was on my heels, and I didn't realize it. Then came March, and I was really overwhelmed. I just withdrew from biology lecture because I had a D, and I planned on retaking it so I could get a better grade. And then officially, after I did that, for some reason, I, I created this LinkedIn, and I, I started looking for different opportunities, maybe like an internship, even though it's my freshman year, or a new job, just trying to spice things up. But after I did that, I prayed and said, Lord, like, if there's any opportunity that comes my way, I will take it. And I woke up the next morning to a call from a guy named Jacob from Southwestern Advantage, which turns out to be an internship. And it's a door-to-door sales job in Louisiana, and it's marketed and pitched as a self-improvement for young college students. And I know you guys have probably heard this story a ton, but I was very suspicious of it, and it didn't look good on paper. But, again, I remember I just prayed for an opportunity, and this just happened. So I'm starting to realize God's on my heel. And I went to the Zoom seminar, and they talked about how hard it was. That's gonna, You're going to work 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day. You're going to be away from your family. It's a chance to prove yourself. You can make a lot of money. Sales is a good skill. And uh, it appealed to me quite a bit. And uh, I was sold. I felt this desire that I wanted to learn if I could work hard. And it's just like I lost all this weight. I did all these things. Like, I can do anything. And I wanted to prove myself. And I wanted to prove to my dad that I wasn't a complete waste of breath on this earth. Plus, something that they said was you get to spend some alone time with God. Because, I mean, it's 14 hours a day working, knocking on doors. You have plenty of time by yourself. So uh, I remember telling my mom about it and just, like, kind of being persistent, just, like, bringing it up, like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in doing this. And she was against it the entire time. (laughs) I think she was, even though I was able to go. But 
my parents, again, parent really was my mom. And my dad and I still weren't talking. And I told her I wanted to go. And we got into this massive fight where I just like yelled at her. She yelled at me. We both started crying. I was trying to sell to her that I wanted to go. And that next day I had a Zoom call again with Jacob. It was like one of my last interviews. I just went through like five of them to get this internship. We've talked a ton. And he's like, Gage, like I need to know if you want to do this. And I was like, okay. Like, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know tonight. So I'm at the library, and I closed my laptop. And again, I prayed. And I prayed something very ignorant and asked God for something. I said, put 777 somewhere out there in the world today. And if I see it, I will go. I will find a way. And so I walked out to my car. I'm about to head to the gym with my buddy JD. And... We started lifting, and I was like, hey, like I think I might do this. And I was like, can you pick a number one through ten? And he's like, seven. Everyone says seven. I'm like, okay, okay. And then on the way out, I texted this girl. Uh, her name is Madison. I don't know if you listen to this, Madison, but I appreciate you as well. And we were like friends. I think we liked each other. I'm not really sure. But we kind of distanced ourselves. Um, and I remember texting her and I was like, Hey, can you like pick a number one through 100? And she said 77. So bing, bing, bing. There's my seven, seven, seven. And I was terrified. I remember walking right out of the gym and I was like, what did she just say? And I asked her, I was like, Hey, why does that number mean anything to you? She was like, I mean, ever since you and I kind of stopped talking and everything, we, it's been popping up everywhere. 77 has been everywhere. And I was like, what? So there's my 777. I'm like, oh, shoot. God answered real quick right there. And I got home. I drove home. And everyone's eating dinner. And I sit down, eat some dinner. And... Before I could even speak, my mom all of a sudden was like, I'm a 100% support. Like, if this is what you want to do, I'm going to support you. Let's figure out a way to get you there. And the night prior, her and I were just yelling at each other. So it's like God placed her hand, placed his hand on her and was like, hey, let him go. Crazy. So I ended up accepting it. And what's funny is I accepted the internship. I had like two weeks to prepare for it. I had to get an iPad. I had to get certain clothes. I had to learn the sales pitch. I had to go to sales school. It was a lot. It was a lot of hard work those last, those two weeks before I left. And so it was May 1st then. It was May 15th when I left. And I remember going to lunch with a girl that played in the worship. She was a year younger than me. Um, and we were just good friends, and we went and ate at Freddy's, which is like a frozen custard burger joint. And I remember ordering a chili dog with a drink, and the cashier was like, that'll be $7.77. And I nearly threw up. I was like, what? What just happened? And I was like, oh, God answered me again. 
So I felt even better about going. I was scared, but I felt better. So I go on this internship. I'm doing really well. I'm making good money. Things are flowing. I'm working hard. Um, And then we come across this family that really changed my life. So to set the scene for what all happened is I was in Gonzales, Louisiana, which is pretty dangerous. And this isn't racist or anything at all, but I was the only white male young kid in that area. I hardly saw anyone. I was the minority, and it was a very humbling thing, and it's very real when you're on the other side of it. So we should appreciate it. Um, Anyways, I'm in this neighborhood. I think it was called Meadowlark. It was some type of bird street. Like the street was named after a bird. Maybe Blue Jay. And it was early in the morning. It was like 7.30. It was humid. humid. I was sweating already. And I started knocking on this door. And it was very suspicious, very sketchy. But my philosophy was like, everyone needs to hear what I have to sell. And it was like educational resources that people didn't need. And I knock on these doors. A lot of the families were Hispanic, and I did not speak Spanish, so I just kind of walked away. And I remember I was walking to my car, which was kind of down the road, and I was hitting the houses closer to the main highway. And it was just a large group of males kind of huddled around and just staring at me. And I felt like I was going to die. It was terrifying. And I was like, there's no chance I could take on this entire group. But maybe if one of them steps up, like I can maybe defend myself. You know, I'm a big guy. So I'm prepared for that. But I just get to my car and I leave. And the day goes on. I was a little worked up, a little scared still, but kept on knocking. And I remember pulling up to this one trailer house. And this house was very dirty. Um... It was reeking like orange rust from its walls. It was falling apart. There was fire ants everywhere and plants hanging around the door. And I knocked on it. And she, this lady opened up a door. And she had a bright smile. And her name was Ebony. I won't give last name. But her name was Ebony. And... I kind of gave the pitch. I was like, hey, my name's Gage. I'm the education man. Like, here's who I've hit. Here's some families. Do you know any of them? Like, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on in. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I walk in, and there's about seven, eight kids right there. And um, this was uh, an African-American family. Super sweet. And I could kind of just feel the vibes of just, like, sadness. And I didn't quite understand why. Um, I couldn't pinpoint it. But she had, like, seven or eight kids, and it was just her, and she was a single mom. And it looked to me, and I could be wrong, I'm trying to do this respectfully, but every kid kind of had a disability. Like, you could visually see something was going on um, based on how they talked even and just kind of how they interacted. I remember talking to her, and it wasn't even like it was a pitch, like pitching anything to her. She was just talking, and it looked like she just needed it. She was sad. Something was wrong. I still didn't know what, and so I just, like, heard her out. I was like, okay. 
like I'm not going to make a sale here, but she needs someone to talk to, and I'm going to be that person for her. So she, we continue to talk, and she's like, so how are you? Like, what houses have you been to? And then she said specifically, this neighborhood just south of us, don't go over there. And I was like, oh, was it like Meadowlark or Blue Jay? I can't remember the exact name. And she was like, have you already been there? And I'm like, yeah, I was there this morning. And she said something I'll never forget. And she said, God must have been with you because that is the most dangerous street in the city of Gonzales. And I was like, okay, like, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad. And then she told me something else. She told me that her daughter, youngest daughter, was like four or five riding her bike down there. It wasn't super far from that house. So it might have been okay. And she was just riding her bike, little girl, right through where I was walking. And she was gunned down and killed right there. And I was speechless. I understood what the sadness was because it happened a week prior. Her little girl was killed for riding her bike, but I was untouched, unscathed, knocking on all of their doors with no idea in the world of who I was, and I wasn't hurt, but that little girl was killed. And I was like, what? What am I? I was speechless. And I was just like, I I don't know what to say. And so I just listened to her and she showed me a picture of her little girl. And I was heartbroken. I understood the sadness. And it just felt like I was meant to be there. For some reason, God kept me alive in that moment. And... I remember just like asking if I could pray for them and I I prayed for them and I started crying. She started crying. Her family started crying. And I remember just walking away from that house, little old Ebony. And I got that same warm, fuzzy chills feeling. And I remember just looking up in the sky and just crying and just saying, thank you, God. Like I understand now. I understand I'm supposed to be here. I understand why you did the 777. I understand why you kept me safe. I understand why you put me through all this anger and all this hatred and all this abuse, Lord. Like, this is for this moment right here so I could show up for this family the way I'm supposed to. And I forgot to mention a big part of this, but I have had thoughts of being a pastor this entire time throughout All of this, I had thoughts of being a pastor, and I somehow forgot that part. But right then and there, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be a pastor. Like, I think this moment right here, right now solidified it. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to listen to these people. I'm supposed to pray over them. I'm supposed to be alive. All of these things. I know I'm looping back and forth, but... I will never forget that house. I will never forget Ebony. I will never forget what she said. I'll never forget how I felt. It was so powerful. And that internship was hell. And I had to leave a few weeks later. And I understood right then and there why I was out there. 
And so, oh my gosh, keep dragging it on. <laughs> I understood right then and there why I was there or what I was supposed to do. And it was powerful. So time goes on. My coach later gave me an ultimatum and was like, hey, you don't have time to bowl. I'm declining people from being on the team. I need you to come back or you're off the team. I chose the first dream, and I was heartbroken. I was so mad I left. And it was a very impulsive decision. But when I got back, I just wanted to tell my family about those stories. And, like, I was hoping, like, I'd get some cheers or, like, salute or a celebration for coming back. And there was nothing. There was zero. My family didn't really care to see me, and that's how I felt. And I went and saw my dad. And the first words out of his mouth was, why are you back? And I remember he was just feeding his goats. And he just asked me that. I was like, all right. So... I am that waste of life that you told me. And, you know, somehow my naive self was just like, I just got to keep forgiving him, keep forgiving him. Like, things will come around. And I remember we went to the lake, and I went to the lake with my dad shortly after that, and I couldn't stop thinking about God. I couldn't stop thinking about why I was back or why I was alive or did I just lose my touch with him because I just left? And I was just like, can I even be a pastor at this point now? I just ran away from him. And I was heartbroken again. So so time goes on, and I went through a really bad phase in that month of July. A year later, after I got baptized, I was really heartbroken, depressed, and felt very disconnected with God. And so I just committed myself to doing something hard again and trying to build myself up, which is where I started running a half marathon and, you know, waking up super early and I got a coach who's Joe and I started out, you know, just running and trying to build up some momentum. I got this new job, all these things. And I'm going to try to speed up some things now. But the thought of being a pastor was still there. But I just didn't want to do it. I couldn't explain why. I still can't explain why. So my sophomore year, first semester hits, and I felt very disconnected from everyone. I realized I didn't want to be like these people around me, that they don't think like I do, that I want to go back with the people I spent my summer with, and so forth. So, And then also, on top of that, I was angry at bowling. I was angry at my coach. I was angry that that opportunity was stripped. And so I continued on, and I got this new job where I still work uh, for the city of Derby here in Kansas. And I met this guy named Joe, another Joe in my life, who was a firefighter. And I just kind of talked to him about, like, what that – career entails like what does he do outside of the time and he's just like most firefighters they work 24 on 48 off and here in wichita that's what happens and so that 48 you could use however you'd like for him it was a personal trainer and i was like that appeals i was like this is my chance like right i get to go help people the way i want to in an intimate way um life-saving way kind of like it felt like 
out on that internship, out on out on that internship, and I could work out and get paid for it. You're praised, and those 48 hours I could spend being a pastor. That's straight up how I thought. So I quit the college in my dreams, or so I thought. I became an EMT in that next year. So this is 2022. I was waking up at 4 a.m. every single day. I was running in the mornings. I'd spend time with God. I was studying. I was lifting. I was shadowing, and I didn't really talk to anyone. And at the time, I was still coaching with Joe Rinaldi, and we would have just one-on-one coaching sessions like Zoom calls. And it started out with managing my finances and turned into almost a therapy session. And so if you listen to this, Joe, and you made it this far, please message me so I know. But time goes on. I got my national EMT certificate and my state. Um, I remember just keeping a schedule and keep waking up early and doing all those things despite being done with school and all that. And it was just a matter of preparing for academy. And that was May 16th when I got the news that I nationally, I'm nationally certified so I can work anywhere. And six days later, my life again completely changed and God pulled me into another path. So how that worked was I was out playing spike ball with my good pal JD who I signed with in bowling and was the one that said seven all of that playing spike ball and I hurt my leg and we thought I tore my ACL and so I hurt my leg all this is happening I'm like goodness like no more firefighting for a while like I'm just gonna have to heal up see what the doctor says all of those things so we go to the orthopedic surgeon. I'm in this brace, that straight leg brace that the hospital gave me because I went to the ER. And I was hurt because it felt like it was just another thing God did to me. And like I'm pulled in another direction again. So go to the orthopedic surgeon and they're like, hey, nothing's torn, but we did find a bigger problem. And I was like, okay, what's that? And he's like, you have basically knocked knees, which is where my knees touch before my feet do if I were to put them closer together. It's just like a rotation of the femur. It's kind of a genetic thing, a growth thing. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? So he's like, well, you burnt out all of the cartilage surrounding your knee on your right side, the one I hurt. So we need to go in there and fix that. And we also need to straighten your leg. And I was like, I kind of already knew I had that. Like, I looked at my legs, and I couldn't ever really squat correctly, and it felt like when I was running or jumping or anything like that, it felt like my energy went outwards instead of straight down. And that's basically what they told me, is my leg's been functioning at, like, 50% of what it could be based on how knocked it is and where the force is going. So, like, we need to straighten this out. And if you don't want to straighten this out, we can go in, fix the cartilage, which needs to happen. But there's no guarantee that the cartilage won't go away again. And the more chances of that, or the more times that happens, the higher the likelihood it is to get a knee replacement. So I was like, okay. 
this is crazy. So time goes on, and I was like, this is the best decision for my future. I'm going to straighten my leg. So we set the date, the surgery date, for August 2nd. And time, it gets closer and closer, and this is about July, and things keep getting closer, and I started experiencing anxiety. I was terrified. I knew that I might not be able to be a firefighter. I'm starting back at square one. I don't know what to do. Will I be able to keep my job? Thankfully, I was. And so I started having anxiety really bad, anxiety attacks. And I remember I was at work one day, and I'm sitting there at my seat, and my heart rate's 100 on my watch, and I'm like, why am I so anxious? And my chest was hurting, and I was like, I could die here any second, and had an anxiety attack. So I left, and I was just like, we need to go to the doctor. I want to make sure my heart is good. So we go to the doctors, and they're like, hey, we're going to postpone your surgery. Like, let's make sure your heart's good. You do have high blood pressure. So let's make sure this is good. So we're going to postpone it to August 31st, so 29 days later from where it was. And they're like, we need you to do a stress test, and we need you to bring someone to drive you home because this is going to suck. And I'm like, okay, I've done a stress test before. And remember, I have a busted knee. Um, I'm freaking out, and I hop on this treadmill, and I lasted for 16 minutes. It hurt really bad. And they were very surprised I lasted that long considering my knee. But I also was training like a firefighter for six months, and I was getting in pretty good shape. So that happens. They take my blood pressure. It's pretty high considering I'm just a young kid, and it's pretty high even for exercise. And I remember going into my car with my brother afterwards, and the mileage the the mileage gauge whatever you call that had 777 777 miles on the back end of it i was like okay that's wild there it is again and then we're pulling out of the the parking lot to the doctor's office and a car kind of backs up in front of us and it has 777 right on the tag so i'm like okay like this is meant to happen so surgery was postponed my heart came back good they're like yeah blood pressure is a little high let's put you on some medicine so i take blood pressure medicine still and i ended up going on to texas to austin texas for the bear performance nutrition 10-year anniversary and on the way there i was driving i felt at ease i was listening to endure by cameron haynes on the the car ride there is about a nine hour drive and we were in standstill traffic and on the other side of the highway was a giant semi truck and right on the side of it it said 777 so 777 is popping up everywhere and so I feel more at peace and we continue to go on and I have my surgery and it sucked it wasn't great but after I have surgery, a couple days go by, and I need to go to the orthopedic surgeon to just make sure and tell us how it all went, get some x-rays, make sure nothing moved around, because they did place a giant plate along with a few bolts. And so we get there, and he's like, it looks good. So we left, and for me to travel anywhere, because I was held at a straight 
leg brace is I had to use my stepdad's truck and I would sit in the back and lay long ways because I was just so tall. And I remember driving home from there and my knee was throbbing. It was hurting bad. It was in a weird position and the bumps in the road were hurting it. And I remember I just prayed. I was like, God, just like, I trust you, but just this pain. And I just said, amen. And we pulled up at this stoplight and my mom's like, look, and like right in front of us, a little bit to the left or the left lane to us. And the license plate had 777 on it. So crazy. 777 is popping up everywhere, everywhere. And so during that time when I was basically at a standstill, um, I just read the Bible a lot. I created podcasts based around the Bible um, I had one where we talked about temptation and I just like exposed everything that I was tempted by and hopes to help people. And I continue to just grow more passionate for spreading the word, for loving God. And I just kept having these thoughts of being a pastor more and more and more and more. So time moved on and started the year 2023. I was able to walk and I just started living with my grandma, um, the one that just passed away. And it was funny is it was about the end of January of last year when I moved in and she passed away at the end of January of this year. So again, ironic. I feel like God's just pulling me everywhere. And so yeah, time goes on. I move in with my grandma and the urge to be a pastor just continues. And so I decided to create a Bible study called Destination Disciple to see if my urge is true. And I, I believe that it is true. I believe the urge to be a pastor doing something in the ministry is real. I just don't know if it's being a pastor. That's how I feel now. But looking back now, the, um, so the Bible study started and then it wasn't until June where I started to take more action on whether or not I needed to be one or that's what God was calling me to do. So I met up with Cameron, the youth pastor. I met up with Andy, who was my youth pastor and now the lead pastor at the church I go to. And I talked to them about what it meant to be a pastor, like how do I know? And they were telling me all these different things. And this is really the time of my life where I was closest to God. I was devoting a lot of time to him. I was praying consistently. And it's not that I don't do that now. It's just, it wasn't as connected. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I remember I called this school or applied to this school called Liberty University to basically go to the school there to be a pastor, get a pastoral degree. And I talked to them on the phone and we were getting everything set up and we we hung up, and I had to go to work. So before work, I went to Chick-fil-A, and when I pulled in the Chick-fil-A, the car in front of me at the drive-thru, guess what was on it? 777, right there on the license plate. I'm like, holy cow. Okay. So that was interesting. I was like, okay, that's what God was wanting me to do. And then I went to work, and at my work, people check in for a bunch of different classes and gym membership and stuff, and they use their phone numbers. And I kid you not, the first three numbers of the day 
each had 777 in it somewhere, whether it was the first three or the last three of the number. It was wild. I've never seen that before. And I was like, holy cow, I'm supposed to be a pastor. So I talked to my parents about it, and they're like, yeah, Gage, we've, we've seen that in you ever since you were little. I'm like, what? Why are you now telling me this? But anyways, time goes on. It hits July, and I have my first anxiety attack. So think of it like this. I'm at the peak of my relationship with Christ. Uh, I'm still still getting there now. But right then and there, I would say that's the closest I've ever been. And I have an anxiety attack. And it's like, why? And I went to the hospital. Um, I passed out. It happened at work just from a flutter of my heart from the anxiety, just a palpitation. And it was just a spiral of my heart rate being elevated, my blood pressure being up because of it, me freaking out because I was thinking I was dying. And I went to the hospital, and my mom met me there, and she prayed for me the same way she did when I was a kid. So full circle, and it really helped my anxiety. Um, But I really am kind of jumping around right now. But the meaning of me telling you all of this is that you could have a fantastic relationship with Christ and things could be going good. Things could go, be going the way you want them to. But that doesn't mean that bad can't happen to you. And it is in those moments where that is where you have to surrender. Because I've learned that with Christ, when you pray for something, let's say you pray for strength or patience, It's not so much that he's going to give it to you right then, but he's going to put you in a situation to prove to yourself that you already have that within you and to work that muscle. And so I was praying to God saying, like, I surrender to you. And he gave me a moment and opportunity to prove that to him. And so that's what I did when I had those anxiety attacks in July at the peak of our relationship or or what I thought was my peak. That is... That is him saying, hey, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. Now prove to me that you actually want to surrender. Prove it. So when you're in those moments, if there's any message I could give to any of you, is that he will put you in a position to prove yourself. Not only to him, but to you. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but it needed to be said. So... Time continues on. I just had the anxiety attacks. I'm surrendering. I'm continuing to grow my relationship with him. And the call to being a pastor is super deep. And I just, I want to do it, but I'm scared. I'm scared because I know, one, I won't be making much money. Two, it's four years of my life, and I'm about to dedicate it to 100 grand worth of student loans in a school away from me. And I decided to just go to college here in town for psychology. And then one day, I'll just continue to work in ministry and continue on with that. And looking back at it now, I now understand what I'm supposed to do. I don't believe that I'm called to be a pastor, but I do believe that I'm called to lead others to Christ, whether that's through an online ministry and eventually holding an in-person event, which is something I'm, I'm working on, or just like 
whatever I do, just leading people to Christ, right? You don't have to be a pastor to love him and to prove that you, you believe. So my goal is just to, to create and to post and to share things like this that I believe in, whether or not it's trendy. And it's just anything and everything I'm passionate about. So with all that being said, is God dragged me around everywhere. There was a lot of twists. There's a lot of turns. He answered me in ways I never thought. There were so many full circle moments. And if you made it this far, respect to you because I rambled on in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of ums. There's a lot of ifs. There's breaks. There's tears. But thank you for making this far. And I want to do something before we call this off. And so I want to finish it with a prayer. So if you are listening to this and you feel an urge, I want you to close your eyes. Let's, let's bring it back a moment. Close your eyes, whoever is listening to this. Stop what you're doing and just listen. If you need a prayer, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, whatever it is, just close your eyes, bow your head, and repeat after me. And don't be scared. Don't be scared. Repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death, to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins, my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as my Lord and Savior. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your love and your life and help me to become a person who is truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Live in me. Love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you did that, congrats. Um, please let me know if you did. I would love to connect with you. And if not, and maybe you still have some questions, please reach out to me still. Um, all of my links and contact info is in the bio. But if there's anything I can say is that Jesus changed my life. He dragged me around. I've witnessed some crazy things happen in my life. I've experienced crazy things. And I'm excited to see how he changes yours and what you experience. So please reach out if you need anything. Thank you for listening. And this is my testimony. We'll see you next time.